We are so thankful that you're joining us today for our weekly broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today we are excited to continue learning about the prophet Samuel. So let's join Pastor Dave as he dives into the book of 2 Samuel. Let's go to 2 Samuel as we try and finish chapter 1 as well as chapter 2. If we can get through that, we'll see if that works out. I heard someone scoff. Like, uh, what's the chances of this? We're going to get through chapter 2. I'm just telling I'm laying down the gauntlet right now. Okay, so at this point from last week, we know that David has gotten word that Saul and Jonathan are dead, that they died on the battlefield of Mount Gilboa fighting the Philistines. And so um, the Amalekite came and, and handed uh, David uh, the crown and, and the bracelet of, of Saul. And so... David now knows that he is dead. And the first thing that David does here in verse 17, it says, Then David lamented with, his, with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. So David writes a tribute to Saul and Jonathan, He then makes a decree that from here on out, the children of Judah are going to sing this song, they're going to know this song, and it's going to be a memorial to these fallen men. Uh, The book of Jashar, that's a very interesting thing, because this isn't the only time we read of the The book means the book of the upright. Jashar means upright. And so the book of Jashar is also mentioned in Joshua, and it gives this uh, description here after Adonai uh, uh, Zedek, the king of Jerusalem, and his allies attacked the Gibeonites. You might remember that the Gibeonites made a uh, covenant with Israel. Uh, They made it look like they were far away, and so it kind of deceived them into making a covenant with them. But now they're in trouble, and so they send for Joshua and saying, hey, we're in covenant, our people are your people, so this guy's about to attack us, so you have to come help us out. And so they do. And it's here that uh, you might recall, well, in Joshua 10, 13, it says, So the sun stood still, the moon stopped till the people had revenge. And so uh, Joshua prayed because as they were going after their enemy, the sun was beginning to set and they wanted more sunlight so they could destroy them. So he prayed, and so as he prayed over the valley of uh, Ajalon, it says, The sun stood still, the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. So is this not written in the book of Jasher? So it seems that, there, that this book is a book of great exploits that are done by godly men. Okay, So that t- should tell you a little something about what David is doing here with this tribute to Saul and his son Jonathan. David is saying that Saul is a godly man, is what he's saying, and he did great exploits. What we're going to see as we go through this is that this is a lot like Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of faith. When you read of all these guys, and some of these guys you read are going, okay, they weren't that faithful, okay? But in God's accounting of things, when you go into eternity, the only things that accompany you are the things that you have done by faith. And I praise God for that. All the boneheaded things that I've done, all the stupid things aren't going to follow me for all of eternity. 
A lot of us really need to be grateful for that. Okay? And so David is saying, as we go through this, you're going to see just not only one praise report after another when it comes to Saul. Only the good things are going to be mentioned of Saul. None of the bad things are going to be mentioned of Saul, as well as with Jonathan. And so um, this kind of reminds me of Hebrews chapter 11, just that hall of faith. Uh, and it, it's one of the reasons why I personally believe that Saul is in heaven, myself. Okay, and so, uh, and so as you as you go through, um, we don't know where the book of Jasher is today. We don't have any copies of that. Um, it is one of the lost books that we read about in God's Word. That there's a book of this, and and we don't have any record of that. There are several books called the Book of Jasher today, um, but they're not the same book as mentioned in the Old Testament here. Uh, there's an 18th century forgery out there that alleges to be the translation of this lost book of Jasher, um, but it, it, it isn't. It's a forgery by an 8th uh, century English scholar. There's also another book by the same name called Pseudo Jasher, um, written in Hebrew. It also is not the book of Jasher mentioned here. It's a book of Jewish legend, legends from creation to the conquest of Canaan under Joshua, but this book didn't even exist until A.D. 1625. And so there is no uh, book that is mentioned here that we have found uh, of the book of Jasher. There's other books called the book of Jasher, but it's not the one that's mentioned here in the Bible. So right now, obviously, it hasn't survived any modern times. How awesome it would be be to find it, though. Uh, You know, kind of like with the Dead Sea Scrolls to all of a sudden find alongside the book of Jasher, really, and, and to read about um, that have this song in there and read about the other conquests that have been written in, in that book, it would be really an exciting thing to do, finding a fragment, something, and that's still a possibility. But let's look at this song of tribute to Saul and Jonathan. It says in verse 19, The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places, how the mighty have fallen. The beauty of Israel that he's speaking of there is Saul. Okay, He's speaking of Saul here. Um, the high places in Mount Gilboa where this battle with the Philistines took place. Um, the mighty have fallen is that, that reference to Saul. Uh, and so um, we see that here. And then he says here, tell it not in Gath. Proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Least the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. And so This speaks of the Philistines. Gath is their capital. Ashkelon is a religious center. He says, let's keep this thing quiet. We don't want them rejoicing over there. And obviously, we don't need to let them know. They're going to know already. Um, But we don't want to help promote that. Um, And then it says, O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew nor rain upon you, nor fields of offering. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. What David is doing here in this song is that he's actually calling upon God himself, the God of creation, to join him in this mourning. And because this great travesty has happened here on Mount Gilboa, he's asking for there to be no rain upon it, may not yield any crops. So it's a reminder to us of this great tragedy that happened here on Mount Gilboa. So he's asking that God join us in this mourning time. And whether rain falls on the rest of the land, don't have it rain, rain there. Uh, so they can't enjoy their harvest there. Um, and so it says, nor fields of, uh, of offering. So again, to produce any grain harvest that you could do for, for an offering. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there. The shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. Here we have 
kind of a personification of weaponry here. Um, after Gilboa, the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul not anointed with oil. Ancient warriors used to rub oil on their shields. They were usually of leather, um, or there'd be leather on top of the, um, the metal of the shield, whether it's brass or something like that. And so what they would do is that they would rub oil on them to make them shine and to preserve them as well. And so these shields were literally anointed with oil. And since Saul had fallen in battle, his anointed shield now lays in the dust, a dramatic image of the fallen anointed one. Uh, anoint, uh, a shield is also a metaphor for princes and kings. We read in, in Psalm 47, 9, the princes of the people have gathered together, the people of the God of Abraham, for the shields of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. Psalm 84, 9 says, O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. And so it's used metaphorically as well of speaking of a prince or a king or an anointed one. Uh, And so the Lord anointed is a shield for his people. And so Saul and Jonathan not only had weapons, they were weapons, but now they lie useless there in the ground on the battlefield of Mount Gilboa. Verse 22, from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back, and the sword of Saul did not return empty. Even though this battle was, um, was very intense with the blood of the slain and, and the fat of the mighty, both Jonathan and Saul did not give up. Jonathan and his bow, his arrow still found its mark. And when it came to Saul, his sword did not return to him empty of blood. It also found its mark. And so there's a mighty um, battle that is being raged, uh, a mighty battle that is, is going on here, and, and they did not um, turn away from that. They still fought very, very intensely. Blood and fat also suggest sacrifice, as in a sacrificial offering. Um, it's a high place, Mount Gilboa. It's like Saul was being offered on Mount Gilboa. And through that offering is going to bring in a renewal of the land, is going to bring in a new kingdom and a new king, who is David. And so it's spoken of as though he sacrificed himself, that he was an offering, that he gave his all for Israel for the new kingdom to come in, which would be the king being David. And then it says in verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles, they were stronger than lions. Even though Saul was disobedient to God, stopped inquiring of the Lord, and even though when he tried to summon up Samuel uh, with the witch of Endor, and Samuel told him the next day in battle, you and your sons are going to die and you're going to be with me. You know what? He still went out and fought and gave his very best. And you know what else? Jonathan even though he did not agree with his dad going after David, uh, probably didn't agree with his dad on several things, he still fought by his side. And they were not divided. And they were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions, is what David says here. And then in verse 24, O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. 
What is David saying here? He's letting Israel know, know that they are very prosperous under Saul. Very prosperous. And they aren't to forget that. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. Here David singles out Jonathan. He's being very courageous in battle and his sacrifice for Israel. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, how many people here have heard this being taken out of context in order to uh, mean that David and Jonathan were lovers? Anybody? I have. Drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. This is not true. All David is professing is his very strong friendship for Jonathan. In 1 Samuel 18.1, it says this, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. You know what that means? It means that you would give your life for one another is what that means. It means that you, your friendship is so strong that one is willing to die for the other. It means that you care more about the other person's happiness and success than your own. And, and Jonathan did. Jonathan was willing for David to take the crown, and he says, I will be your commander-in-chief. And so that is what he was hoping to do because he knew that David was God's anointed and he was going to be the next in line. And Saul would often look at Jonathan and say, don't you get it? Don't you understand that if he takes my throne, you don't have it? And you know what? Jonathan's going, I don't care. I care more about God. I care more about my friendship with David that I know is already God's anointed. And that's okay by me. That's okay by me. And and speaking here, this uh, when it says that Jonathan loved him as his own soul, notice it says soul here. That speaks of his spirit. There's a spiritual kin, uh, kinship here. It's not physical at all. To read that into it means that you have a very perverse soul. This is speaking uh, of spiritually speaking that he cared more about himself than um, uh, he cared more about David than himself, and vice versa. And it just showed how strong their friendship was. This in no way suggests anything sinful, and to read sin into this shows a very perverse heart, and you're reading into it more than, than it was. Um, so, 2 Samuel 127, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perish. And go, again, he, he ends with repre- repeating this phrase to show how the weapons of war have been lost and can never be used again, speaking of Saul and Jonathan. And so this is a song of tribute. It's something that Israel is going to continue to sing. The tribe of Judah is going to continue to sing this. He teaches the children of Judah. Why Judah? Because as we get into the next chapter, we find out he is made king there in Judah, just over the tribe of Judah. He, doesn't, he isn't king over all of Israel at this point. So again, um, I, I reckon this to a lot like uh, Hebrews chapter 11, a hall of faith. And it sounds like uh, that they had this in the book of Jasher, that this was uh, uh, men of great exploits. And, uh, and Saul is in there. And so is Jonathan with this song. So let's go to chapter 2. See how quickly we went through that? See what I'm saying? We're rolling right along. It's kind of the norm around here. Okay, that's not true. Okay, that's a lie. Lord, forgive that. Okay. 2 Samuel chapter 2, it said, It happened after this that David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go up to any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up. And David said, Where shall I go? And he said to him, Hebron. Now, I love this. I love the fact that David is now inquiring of the Lord. We saw that 
uh, when he was in Ziklag, when, when all of a sudden he comes back and he, and he sees that uh, people have raided and, and taken his wives and children, they took everything, and instead of just going off in the flesh and with emotion and going after him, he stopped right there and he inquired of the Lord. It's never too late to inquire of the Lord. And that was kind of the beginning of David kind of coming back. When he came back to his camp and, camp and realized at that point he had nothing. And what did he do? He inquires the Lord. I'm here to tell you, anytime you get to the place where you realize that you've been empty and you kind of have this stupid Satan thought that says, you know what, you've done this Christian thing so many times and you've tried to pray, and you've tried to read and you go to church and you always end up you know, flaking out and I don't care. It's never too late to inquire the Lord and to start fresh. And David does this through his whole life. You know, there's something about a tremendous blessing of new beginnings. A righteous man may fall seven times. He gets up again, okay? So if you ever find yourself in that place of going, man, I'm just not that faithful guy or gal that I, I, I need to be, okay, you realize that. So pray, ask forgiveness, and let's move on. And let's start inquiring of the Lord again. And we see that happen with David time and time again. And God meets him right where he is, and he speaks to him. And that's how close God is. He's just one turn away from you just turning to meet with him and he's right there you know have that repentive attitude and and he's right there to take you right there and then so he inquires of the lord where shall i go up where do i go because he's in ziglag right now he's in enemy territory he's there in the land of the philistines so where do i go from here and uh, uh and and he says um where shall i go up should i go up and he says go up and he said where and he says to hebron so David went up there with his two wives, also Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David brought up the men who were with him, every man with his household. So they dwelt in the cities of Hebron. They suffered with David, and now they reign with David. We suffer with Christ in order to reign with Christ. There's a great lesson to be learned there. Now, I find it interesting and not surprising, but very significant that God says, go to Hebron. Don't go to Bethlehem. Don't go to any of these other places. I want you to go to Hebron. Okay, why Hebron? Well, I believe it's, it, it, it speaks of several things. For one, I think it speaks of new beginnings. Uh, Hebron, at this point, is the largest city in Judah. Okay, uh, however... Hebron is also the place in Judah that's associated with all the patriarchs. All the patriarchs have some um, attachment to Hebron. And so Hebron is the beginning of Abraham's dwelling in the land. Um, we see in Genesis 13, 18, that Abram moved his tent, went and dwelt by the terebinth trees of Mamre, which are in Hebron, built an altar there to the Lord. Genesis 23, 2, so Sarah died in Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron. In the land of Canaan, Abraham came to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Uh, Genesis uh, 23, 19 says, And after this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the, uh, of the field of Machpelah, before Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land, land of Canaan. And so Hebron has this special attachment to the very first patriarch, and that is Abraham. He's being called to, do, to go in and out and be 
uh, um, kind of a vagabond, a pilgrim, a sojourner throughout the land. But as he sojourns throughout the land, he always comes back to Hebron. He always comes back to Hebron. And so Hebron seems to be this launching point of what God is doing with his people, Israel, and the descendants after him. And so Hebron is also one of the cities visited by the spies of Moses sent out. And at that time, it was actually called uh, Kiriath Arba, meaning the city of Arba. This was a city that was occupied by the Anakim, which are what? Giants. This is a place of giants. So Hebron was a city of giants. Later on, became the city of giant killers because Caleb is the one that went in there and destroyed them. And so he inherited that land. And so now David, who is also a giant killer who killed Goliath, is now going to go and live in Hebron. This is a a new um, kingdom, uh, a new administration of God. It speaks of new beginnings. Um, when, they, uh, when, when Abraham comes in the land, he, he is dwelling around Hebron and in Hebron and has purchased land in Hebron. And then we see uh, here that when uh, Joshua comes into the land, that he sends out uh, Caleb to take what? Hebron. And so uh, it seems like this new beginning of what God is doing, and God is doing a new beginning with David, and he starts there in Hebron. So, verse 4. Then the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David king over the house of Judah. And they told David, saying, The men of Jabesh-Gilead were the ones who buried Saul. So David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, You are blessed of the Lord, for you have shown the kindness to your Lord to Saul and have buried him. And now may the Lord show kindness and truth to you. I also repay you with this kindness because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strengthened, be valiant, for your master Saul is dead, and also the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. So, David is anointed by the men or elders of Judah. We're going to come back to this here in a moment. Um, But notice what David does first. Once he gets there, he's anointed. The first thing he wants to find out is about Saul um, and his sons, and particularly Jonathan. What, what, what happened? What, what transpired here? Well, there's these guys by the name of uh, Jabesh Gilead. You know them, yes. Um, uh, they were very va- valiant. They risked their lives. They went to Beth Shane where the, the bodies were, were pinned up there on the wall, and, uh, and they pulled them down, and they came back across the, the, the Jordan, and, um, and they buried them. And they gave them a proper burial and, and things like that. They burned their bodies and then buried their bones. And so David wants to reward them, and he wants to let them know that to the house of Saul in general, but particularly these guys, look, I know that you're very beholding to Saul, but I want you to know that I honor him as well. And I want to honor you for blessing him and his sons by grabbing his bodies and giving him a proper burial. And so he's reaching out. He's reaching out to the, to the, the, the men there at Jabesh Gilead, and, uh, and he wants to bless them. He wants to bless him. This just speaks of the heart of David. He wants unity. As we continue through this chapter, keep that in mind. He wants unity. He does not want division. And notice as he becomes king here, he doesn't start a bunch of wars with uh, Ibosheth that we'll find out here in a moment is Saul's other son that becomes king. Uh, you know, he, he, he's not going after him. And we see how the kingdom is brought to David and how he has the patience to wait on the Lord. Something that we don't really see David doing in the previous years during those 10 years or so. 
okay, is that he's um, very presumptuous. Um, he, he's, he's quick to do, and he's now learning again to inquire of the Lord, to kind of wait on the Lord, let God bring it to him, things like that. Let nothing ever separate us. That wraps up this Friday edition of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us again on Monday as we continue our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Fall is here, which means it's time for our annual Harvest Festival. On October 31st, Calvary Castle Rock will be hosting a wonderful free event for the whole family. The night will include carnival games, inflatables, high strikers, face painting, funnel cakes, food, and of course, lots of candy. So come on out and join us from 4 to 8 p.m. October 31st. We are located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station. If you'd like more information, please visit our website at calvarycr.com. That's calvarycr.com. Or you can call our church office at 303-663-2514. Thank you again for listening in today. And until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. 